At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. There's a lot happening these days, but I have just the thing to get you up to speed on what matters without taking too much of your time. The 7 from the Washington Post is a podcast that gives you the seven most important and interesting stories, and we always try to save room for something fun. You get it all in about seven minutes or less. I'm Hannah Jewell. I'll get you caught up with The 7 every weekday. So follow The 7 right now. Hey, it's Will Friedle. And Sabrina Bryan. And we're the hosts of the new podcast, Magical Rewind. You may know us from some of your favorite childhood TV movies like My Date with the President's Daughter. And the Cheetah Girls movies. Together we're sitting down to watch all the movies you grew up with and chat with some of your favorite stars and crew that made these iconic movies happen. So kick back, grab your popcorn, and join us. Listen to Magical Rewind on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Brought to you by State Farm. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. We are the voice of NASCAR. The green flag is in the air, and we are underway. The great American race. The Motor Racing Network. NASCAR Cup, Xfinity, and Craftsman Truck Series Racing. Live on your hometown radio station and MRN or NASCAR.com. Martinsville, Talladega, the Chicago Street Course. We have the side-by-side action, and last lap passes for the win. Photo finishes. Ryan Blaney will win. The voice of NASCAR, the Motor Racing Network. Work. This is the Chicago City Cast with Danny Burke, presented by Bet Rivers. What's going on, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome into another edition of the Chicago City Cast, presented by Bet Rivers. I'm Danny Burke, your host at Danny Burke Five, or you can follow along on Twitter. Hope you're doing well on this Tuesday afternoon, and hope you're looking forward to some good baseball around these parts in the Chicagoland area. Top-tier pitching matchup to look forward to tonight. Dylan Cease taking on Justin Verlander. How about them socks last night, baby? Actually coming back and getting a late heroic win. I mean, for that to happen with this White Sox team in this season is nuts as is. But let alone having it happen against the Astros, who have the best bullpen ERA in baseball. Incredible. You tip your cap to the White Sox. Could be a season-altering win that sparks a lot of momentum toward the final stretch of the season. Well, you'd think that, and it could happen, but you got to get over one huge bump tonight, which is the aforementioned Justin Verlander, who is the favorite to win American League Cy Young at minus 148, and Dylan Cease behind him at plus 170. So we'll get into that game. I'll share my thoughts in a second. And of course, we'll get a preview of the Cubbies tonight, looking to avenge their loss last night against the Nationals. And in part two of this episode, folks, we got a very special guest joining us. You know him, you love him on 670, the score, Danny Parkins, at Danny Parkins on Twitter, host of Parkins and Spiegel, Monday through Friday, 2 to 6 p.m. Central Time on your local airwaves. Very excited to talk with Danny, but a fan of his for quite some time. Love listening to their show when I'm driving into the Bet River Sportsbook on the way to my own show, but... Look, uh, we're going to get into a lot of things with Danny. We're going to talk plenty of socks. We're going to talk about the AL Cy Young. We're going to talk about the matchup with Verlander and Cease tonight. And naturally, we'll talk plenty of Bears. Looking forward to week two in NFL preseason. His thoughts on their overall regular season win total. We will discuss if Darnell Mooney can emerge as a top receiver in the NFL. Can Cole Komet finally come into his own? And then you know I had to ask him about the whole Roquan Smith debacle. I mean, what the hell is going on with Roquan now? Man, they're all over it, though, on his show. And at 670, the score. I think they got their own investigative reporter trying to figure out uh, who his pseudo-agent is. And, uh, yeah, just really, what can we expect out of Roquan at the end of the day? Is he going to suit up or not? 
Well, we'll talk about that with Danny in the second part of this episode. Really a great interview. Big shout out to Danny Parkins for making some time. He was very gracious with his time. We went on for a little bit longer than we probably expected, but hey, it's easy to do that when you're talking about the things you love. And even though the things we love here in Chicago sports aren't the most successful, doesn't mean we're not going to talk about it nonstop. So yeah, again, a really fun interview. Hope you enjoy it as much as I did. But before we get into all of that, I do want to spend this first part of this episode talking about uh, my preview for the Cubs game and the Sox game tonight. So really quick, brief recap last night. We went one-on-one with our baseball plays. I ended up pulling the trigger on the no run in the first inning for the Sox and the Astros. And of course, two runs get scored, and then they go scoreless all the way to the freaking bottom of the eighth. I should have just stuck with my gut and went full game under. Hindsight, I get it, I get it. I understand, but look, uh, I'm going to be salty about it for just a second, but I am happy to see the Sox come back and win that game as a minus 110 ticket holder for them to win the Central, as all you listeners very well know. We talk about that pretty much ad nauseum, but this race has been incredibly fascinating, and it's going to get even more tricky now depending on what happens with the matchup tonight for the Sox against Justin Verlander. But yeah, so uh, one and one, we lose on that. We win on the Giants on the run line. Yeah, that was a nice win. Play we gave out on Rush Hour. Remember, you could tune in to Rush Hour Monday through Friday, 5 to 6 p.m. Central Time, live out of the Bet River Sportsbook. If you can't make it down, you can always check us out at VEASAN.com or the VEASAN app, the Marquee Sports Network, Fubo TV, Sling TV, the Xfinity app, and YouTube TV. So uh, all over the place and plenty more plays dished out on that program as well. So one and one on the night. That brings our baseball record this year to 59-50-2. Hoping to get the W column back up there once again. Perhaps there will be some good opportunities tonight, and perhaps it begins at guaranteed rate field with the late game winners, the Chicago White Sox, taking on the Houston Astros in what should be a top-tier pitching matchup. Justin Verlander taking on Dylan Cease. Where do you think they had this line open at, Bet Rivers? You gotta think, considering Verlander is the established veteran, The favorite to win AL Cy Young, minus 148, by the way. C's plus 170. The Astros ticked off how they blew that game last night. That the Astros should be the favorite heading into this game. I would agree with you. When I made this line for this spot, I did make Houston the favorite. I made them right at the same spot I made them last night, actually. Minus 125. So yeah, Houston is the favorite once again, thinking they could bounce back. I put Chicago at plus 110, and then I put the total at 7.5. Now, I put the total at 7.5, assuming that this under is inevitably going to get bet. Right? No one wants to bet the over when it's the top pitchers in your respective league in Verlander and Dylan Cease. But I still opened it there. Just Some books might have had the hook implemented, and then assuming it would tick down to 7. Not that I'm going to get involved with the total that low, but yeah, that's where I made it. Bet Rivers did make Houston the favorite, did make Chicago at a little bit of a plus money, and actually did put the total at seven. So they were right away with the total at seven. But Houston opened up minus 120, Chicago plus 105. So that's where it opened. Where it's moved to is a different question. Houston now is up to close to minus 130, actually. It's been ticking that way all throughout the morning. So I had the minus 125, remember, that Rivers opened at minus 120. That Rivers now has them at minus 129. The White Sox opened plus 105, courtesy of Bet Rivers. Now you can get Chicago plus 110. We told you the total opened at 7, still at 7. The juice is on the under, still at minus 113. You think this thing actually gets to 6 in the hook? Man, that'd be something. We have seen that happen. I think we've even seen some spots where it's hit six, which just seems absurd. But hey, the pitching is pretty dominant this year. If you want to go with the run line with Houston, think they can win this game by two or more, the price is plus 135. If you want to take the run in the hook with the White Sox, presumably a lower scoring game, maybe they lose, but just by one, minus 162 is the price to bet on that. Now looking into this pitching matchup, there clearly is a reason why Justin Verlander is at the top of the list. I mean, 
I haven't really looked into him too much with his stats. I briefly checked it out, but honestly, anytime he pitches, the lines are so out of whack, it's just way too steep to lay that I end up not really getting involved. I've looked at his numbers just to see if he's a worthy candidate for Cy Young, of course, but I haven't peeked in a little bit. But here's how they're stacking up, and man, uh, yeah, he is the front runner for sure. He's 15-3 and this year with a 1.85 ERA. His FIP is 291. His walks and hits per innings pitched, 0.86. His skill interactive CRA, a.k.a. is Sierra, is listed at 332. Now, on the road, he actually has more human-like numbers because at home, his FIP is 221. On the road, his FIP is 349. All right, so if there's a spot for Verlander to struggle, could be away from Minute Maid and could be against this White Sox team, a team that he already has struggled against. If you remember that series in Houston, the White Sox really dominated Justin Verlander. Verlander only went 3.2 innings pitched. He allowed nine hits, seven runs. Four of them were earned, but still seven runs is seven runs, folks. And the Sox won that game 7-0. Verlander overall has made 46 starts against the White Sox in his career, going 22-14. and With a 3.72 ERA, he owns four complete games against them, his highest total against any team. So yeah, that sounds about right. Man. I mean, look, they got to him once this year, though. You think they can manage to do it again? Is this the perfect opportunity for them to do it again based on the momentum they potentially captured after last night? Or are the Astros coming and ticked off that they blew that game? That they couldn't produce more offense? Is Verlander going to have sort of a chip on his shoulder saying, nah, this young gun ain't taking over. I'm still the top dog here. This is a huge pitching matchup in the AL Cy Young battle. Look, I mean... If Cease wins this game, like actually records a win, he's not going to be plus 170 tomorrow. That I can tell you. But at the same time, I mean, he could have got Cease double-digit odds at the end of July. Maybe not the end of July, but the middle part of July, right after the All-Star game. But look, cashing a ticket, still cashing a ticket. If you've been hesitant, you like the momentum the Sox maybe have, you like Cease in this matchup, I'm not going to steer you away from it. I personally am not going to do it, but it's an option. Verlander may be the safer bet here, though, still, even though you're laying a price. If you like Houston in this game, if you wanted to get involved in the AL Cy Young, although at that point, look, I mean, you might as well just bet Houston on the money line minus 129 as opposed to Verlander minus 148 because in order for Verlander at minus 148 to have value, you got to imagine they would win tonight. Because if you want to bet him at minus 148, you're doing it with the assumption that the number is going to get worse. Like the Astros will win and it'll go up to minus 160, minus 175. But why not just take the Astros minus 129 at that point? You get instant gratification and instant results if it comes through instead of waiting for the Cy Young to be completed in multiple weeks down the road. And like I said, you're getting a better price, a cheaper price on the Astros on the money line. And again, it's not that anybody's actually really considering this or has mentioned it to me, but I'm sure some people are thinking about that going, all right, well, should I bet Verlander now? It's a big pitching matchup tonight. I still want to get involved in the AL Cy Young. Look, at the end of the day, there's really no value at this point in the AL Cy Young. And I get a lot of times I'll still say, hey, cash and a ticket is cash and a ticket despite what the price is. But the only value right now, if you just wanted to get involved, would have to be with Dylan Cease at plus 170. But you have to, <laughs> you have to bet that with having confidence in the White Sox winning tonight. I don't believe Dylan Cease can capture the AL Cy Young unless he has an outstanding performance capturing a dub against the man in front of him, Justin Verlander, tonight. So if you believe the White Sox can win tonight with Dylan Cease on the bump, and not just like say it's a 1-0 game 
or 1-1, and then the bullpens kind of control it and dictate it at the end of the game. Nah, nah, nah. It's got to be Dylan Cease having a dominant performance, his offense backing him up early, he gets a recorded win, limits the damage from Houston, and we talk about it, and national media is talking about it, that's how the odds can sway. But it doesn't just end there because you still have multiple more starts for these pitchers to have before the postseason begins. That's why still it's not solidified, but Cease damn near has to be perfect from this point on. Being on the Astros and being Justin Verlander helps Justin Verlander. Dylan Cease has a long way to go still to get established such as Justin Verlander is. So he's got a way higher mountain to climb. So that's why, again, at the end of the day, probably not worth the bet. Just keep your focus on the individual game. So, again, sorry, a little bit of a sidetrack here, but, yeah, Verlander didn't have the greatest outing against the White Sox, but in his career, he owns four complete games against them, his highest total against any team. His last outing wasn't the best. Versus Texas, the Astros lost 8-4 to four in 10 innings, went six innings, allowed five hits, three earned runs, seven strikeouts. Like, don't get me wrong, that's a really good performance, but in relative terms for Justin Verlander, maybe a little bit of a down performance. And hey, some Sox hitters have had success against Verlander if you're looking for any props. Abreu, 17 for 46 against him with three doubles, six home runs. He's tallied nine RBIs and accumulated an average of 370. Luis Robert, not sure if he'll be in the lineup, but he went uh, three for three against Verlander, one double, four RBIs. Josh Harrison, six of 20, one double, one triple, 300 batting average. Okay, I see you, Josh. Well, let's look at the side of Dylan Cease. So Dylan Cease and his numbers are looking like 12 and 5, 196 ERA, 275 FIP, which is lower than Verlander's. Verlander's is at 291. Verlander's Sierra is 332. Dylan Cease has a Sierra of 319. Cease has a higher whip, though, 114. Verlander's at 0.86. Now, the funny thing about the Sox this year, and we were joking about it yesterday, it seems like damn near every player, every situation, batting split, it's been worse at guaranteed rate field for the Sox compared to on the road. But finally, Dylan Cease, being the only normal guy here, has better numbers at home. He's got a 250 ERA with a 263 weighted on base average, and his FIP at home is 265. His FIP on the road is 287. The bad news about Dylan Cease, and I get it, it's a new year, new situation, all of those things, hasn't faced him thus far, being Houston, but he has lost all three of his career starts against the Astros. And he has compiled a 660 ERA against Houston. Not great, not great. But again, he has yet to face him this year, and this year he is having an AL Cy Young worthy season. Some guys who have had some good reps against Cease include Jose Altuve, who's 4 of 8 with 4 hits, 1 homer. Guriel, 3 of 7, 1 double, 2 RBIs. Kyle Tucker, 2 of 3. So, yeah, not really the most dangerous sample size as much as you've kind of seen with some of this White Sox lineup. Doesn't mean Cease can't get attacked. Doesn't mean he's not vulnerable to having really bad starts, which he has had a couple of times. More toward the beginning of the year, I get it, but still. It's the Astros. They're going to be ticked off from yesterday. They're going to want to bounce back. And you're getting them at a cheap price, man. I mean, look, people yesterday were betting Houston just for the sole purpose of, man, I'm getting Houston in the minus 120s. How could you not take it? Similar sentiment is probably being expressed for tonight. And I don't blame you if you think that way. Would it be awesome to see the Sox win? Of course. Would I want it for my AL Central bet? You bet. But I don't think losing this game, which is kind of implied you will, is going to end up being the make or break from that. You still got a good amount of opportunities to, you know, catch up and capture the AL Central. So I may be fading the White Sox tonight, actually. And I just really think, based on that price, 
it's just worth it here, man. I mean, Verlander's not going to want to give up his spot right now. He knows how big this is. He doesn't want the young guy overtaking him. Can Cease live up to the moment and handle the pressure that comes along with it? We'll have to wait and see. Some of the betting splits in this game, by the way, or betting splits, batting splits, pardon me. Houston versus righties on the road. Their stat line goes now 726 OPS, 316 weighted on base average, and a 107 WRC+. The White Sox versus righties at home. Overall this season, overall, 670 OPS. Not good. 295 Woba, also not good. 93 weighted runs created plus. Everybody at the same time, not good. But we'd like to look at a smaller sample size with the White Sox because they sort of flipped the switch enough, I guess you could say, since July 1st. Where at home against righties since the beginning of July, their OPS is 772. Their WOBA is 336. And their weighted runs created plus, folks, it is all the way up to 122. Is that enough to give you confidence in them tonight? I'm not so sure. So I'm not officially in on Houston right now. I think I'm going to let it marinate a little bit. By the time we get to rush hour, I may have pulled the trigger on Houston. But I'm strongly considering the Astros in this game. Man, it should be a good one. Can't wait for it. How about the Cubbies and Nationals? Let's talk about this game really quick. Cubbies blew a late lead last night. Stroman gave up four runs, but none of them earned. Cubs end up losing 5-4 against a lowly Washington Nationals. Nothing you ever want to say out loud, but here we are. I opened up the Cubs in this game at minus buck forty-five. I put Washington plus 130, and I made my total at 9, and I'll tell you why in just a second. Bet Rivers opened up the Cubs in this spot at minus 156. All right, high on the Cubbies. Washington plus 135, their total at 8 in the hook. Right now, the Cubs are minus 167, Washington's plus 145, totals at 8.5, a A little bit of juice to the under, minus 113. So why are the Cubs a big favorite here? Well, not only because you're facing the Nationals, who, yeah, beat you last night, but still are worse than you, you gotta look at this pitching matchup, and man, oh man, Patrick Corbin has been a train wreck. The southpaw for the Nationals is 4-16 this year with a 7-0-2 ERA a 182 whip, a 496 FIP, and a 425 Sierra. Oh, how could I forget? He's also got a 17% home run to fly ball ratio. Folks, you want that number under 10%. He has given up 30, and I said 30, 30 earned runs throughout his last six starts. Oh my goodness. At home, he has an ERA of 517 and a FIP of 495. Since Game 7 of the 2019 World Series against the aforementioned Houston Astros, Patrick Corbin is 15-39 with a 5.98 ERA. If you're looking for a silver lining or any sort of good news, it's that Corbin is 5-2 with a 3.97 ERA in 9 career appearances, 8 of those starts, against the Cubs. But come on, this year's different. He's been terrible. And the Cubs are actually hitting lefties okay on the road. Well, maybe not okay, but in terms of what you maybe thought they would be doing. Uh, Cubs versus lefties on the road, 706 OPS, 308 WOBA, and a 96 WRC+. Well, let's talk about the Cubs and their pitcher. You got Justin Steele taking the bump tonight. Now, the tricky part about backing Justin Steele is that he has struggled on the road before. But overall, his numbers have settled down. Keegan Thompson's more of the guy where you really got to be cautious about his home and road splits. But Steele has kind of evened it out. But this year, Justin Steele is now 4-7 with a 363 ERA. He's got a high whip, which isn't ideal, 1.41. But he's got a great FIP at 328 and his Sierra's 387. His most recent start actually did come at home against Washington, where there he went six innings, allowed eight hits, two earned runs, nine strikeouts. Cubbies won that game 4-2. But his ERA on the road is high, 471. But remember, we look at the FIP, the true indicator of the ERA. And on the road, he has a FIP of 356, which you could absolutely trust, especially against Patrick Corbin and his numbers. By the way, Steele's FIP at home is 313, so still a big difference. 
The Nationals versus lefties at home. They have an OPS of just 606. You thought 706 was bad for the Cubbies. Let me introduce you to the Nationals versus Southpaws at home with a 606 OPS, a 270 Woba, and then a 68 weighted runs created plus disgusting numbers out of Washington. So you could understand why the movement has gone toward the Cubbies. If you don't want to lay the minus 167, you could go with the run line for Chicago. Plus 104 is the value you are getting. The Nationals catching a run in the hook, minus 122. Yeah, I mean, you got to think you're betting the Cubs are nothing here. It scares me a little bit because I've mentioned that Steele has struggled on the road. And you got to imagine he won't in this spot, but nothing would shock me at this point. Moneyline for the first five is also minus 167, by the way. If you want to do the lead after five innings, minus a half run at Bet Rivers for the Cubbies is minus 121. Not bad. Not bad. If you just want to bet the first five, not trust this Cubs bullpen. I mean, the Nationals have a bad bullpen too, but you're a little bit worse statistically at this point if you're the Cubs. All right, I just refreshed the page now, and now the number's up to minus 175 for the Cubbies. The Nationals are plus 145. So the market is loving them some Cubbies tonight, and I don't blame them. And now the total at 8.5 has shifted to the over at minus 114 a little bit. That would maybe be my best angle, like I was saying way earlier here. And I say that because, well, remember, I opened it at 9. And the reason I did that is because of how abysmal Corbin's numbers are and the fact that I'm not 100% trusting Steele on the road here. So I could see this being a higher-scoring game. Which one would you rather bet, though? The Cubbies? Lane minus 175? No, I don't want to lay that much. At most, I'd want to lay like minus 160 with the Cubs. Okay, what about the run line if you're getting plus 102 or better? Yeah, I'd rather do that than the money line. Or do you want to do the total over 8.5? Wind's blowing in a little bit. Nationals have an okay hitter's ballpark. Could do a Cubs team total if you just want to straight fade Patrick Corbin. 30 earned runs throughout his last six starts. Something to consider. I may jump in on the run line and or the total over eight and a half. I hate to kind of, you know, tease you a little bit here, but I just want to see where this market fizzles out toward. I want to see what these lineups are looking like more so as well. But a very strong lean to the Cubs on the run line and definitely considering total runs over eight and a half. It kind of is scary a little bit too, causes some trepidation when you're going back-to-back against the same team, because usually the second time you have familiarity and you do a little bit better. So maybe the Nationals produce more offense against Steele this time around. And again, he's a young pitcher, and even though the Nationals are really, really bad right now, doesn't mean they can't get after him. They got after Stroman. Why can't they get after Steele? So yeah, looking at the Cubs run line, looking at the total over 8.5. Tune in to Rush Hour. And I'll be giving you my official Danny's Dimes then. All right, enough of me blabbing on tonight's games. Let's take a quick break here on the CityCast. And then we got our special guest coming next, Mr. Danny Parkins, host on 670 The Score. Had an absolute blast talking Chicago sports with him. One of my favorite hosts. Very gracious with his time. Could not be more thankful. Hope you enjoy the interview as much as I did. We'll be right back. Bet Rivers has your bases covered with early week betting fun. Your baseball bet gets a little extra pop at Bet Rivers Sportsbook every Tuesday. Just log into Bet Rivers and receive a 20% profit boost on a baseball bet every single Tuesday during the entire regular season. You can use it on straight bets, player props, or a same game parlay. You decide. Log on to the Bet Rivers app or go to betrivers.com and get your 20% profit boost today. Not valid for any participant of the Illinois Gaming Board statewide voluntary self-exclusion program. Must be 21 years of age or older. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem, crisis counseling and referral services can be accessed by calling 1-800-GAMBLER. That's 1-800-426-2537. Alrighty, folks, welcome back to it. It is the Chicago City Cast presented by Bad Rivers. You know me, Danny Burke. But now we're lucky enough to be joined by one of the best radio hosts 
Well, actually, the top-rated radio host here in the Chicagoland area, and that is Danny Parkins at Danny Parkins, where you could follow him on Twitter. And, of course, catch him hosting Parkins and Spiegel on 670 The Score, Monday through Friday, 2 to 6 p.m. Central Time. And, Danny, I know uh, just like us here on uh, all the shows that I've been doing with Beeson and whatnot, these summer months sometimes can be a little bit of a grind to get through, but uh, it makes it a little bit easier when you have some sports betting content to get you through these months. And man, I mean, with the Bears preseason starting up and especially on the South side with the White Sox, it's uh, it's been pretty exciting. How have these months been treating you? You know, it's always good. And uh, Danny, thanks for having me on. It's always nice to talk to another adult Danny. I uh, <laughs> keep fighting the good fight, man. Don't give in to, to Daniel or Dan. OK, stay stay young. Uh, so, yeah, man, it's listen, it's been good. The White Sox are crazy disappointing. Uh, but that leads to interesting discussion. We had the the Cubs trade deadline that wasn't. And then it's always just uh, waiting for football season right around the corner. But, yeah, there's never an off season for the sports gambler because there's a golf tournament or a UFC card or a West Coast baseball game that you can fire on if you want to. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's great, man. And yeah, I, I know in terms of uh, our name, you're right. I mean, it's great to have a fellow uh, older Danny because every time I introduce myself, they're like, you sure you don't want to go by Dan? I'm like, no, nah, I'm, I'm fine with Danny. That that works for me. So, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll keep holding on to that as long as we can. But yeah, hey, you're I, not an accountant. You're right. You know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You, you, you talk about sports gambling. You can be exactly. You can be I don't need to be taken that seriously. So yeah, it's fine. We'll get by that way. But look, uh, Danny, um, you know, you mentioned the White Sox and we were saying last night, I mean, what a comeback. And it's just something the White Sox needed. And it just felt like they were a team that was almost never going to get that signature type of win, let alone against a team like the Houston Astros. I mean, they had been shutting you out all game, and then you finally get the offensive spark in the eighth inning, and you close it out in the ninth, sweat-free pretty much, which seldom happens with this White Sox team. But now they're about two games back, right? And if you look at some websites like Fangraphs, you know, they have their percentage to make the playoffs, and it keeps adjusting based on the strength of schedule and what just happened. But you get the Guardians two games ahead. They're 58.5% chance to make the playoffs. And then Fangraphs has the White Sox at about 50% chance to make the postseason. If you look at their odds, man, I mean, this thing has gone back and forth. But right now, Cleveland's plus 115 at Bet Rivers. The White Sox are plus 180. And then you get the Twins at plus 250. Have you gotten involved in this division? If not, what would you maybe look at? Yeah, I was involved uh, with the White Sox. I don't know at this point, like six, eight weeks ago, like around plus one forty. So I don't have I don't have the best of the number. Um, you know, at some point you just have to concede that they are what they are. And if they are turning the corner right now, you know, in the middle of August against the class of the American League who made light work of them in the postseason last year, like good for them. You know, I I'm rooting for it. I'm rooting for the story. It's better for both of our jobs if teams are good and playing big games and playing in the postseason. But at some point, they're just so disappointing. And they'll go through a stretch against, you know, 19 games against teams in their division. And they'll go 10 and 9. And then they'll play 19 games against teams below 500. And they'll go 11 and 8. And it's just, you know, it's mediocre. It's treading water. If, if they were in the AL West or the AL East, we would have been done talking about the White Sox, you know, 70 games ago. So they're, they're, they're a product of their division and they're crazy talented. So we know that they can uh, turn it on and they've been a playoff team each of the last two years. Dylan Cease, you know, tonight's game against Verlander is an amazing sporting event. Number one and number two in the AL favorites for Cy Young, the game that Verlander had his worst outing of the season when the White Sox tagged him for four runs was against, obviously, the White Sox. Dylan Cease has this crazy 14 consecutive start streak of only allowing one or zero earned runs. So, you know, sports is an entertainment product just to just give you big games and big moments and things to look forward to. And even in this crazy, disappointing, frustrating year, the White Sox are giving you that. But I can't really justify investing much more in them, given how inconsistent they've been. Nah, I'm with you, man. I mean, I, I took him, I think, 
sometime in May because their number had gotten down to like minus 110. And at that point, I'm like, you know what? They're going to figure it out. I doubt I'm going to get plus money on this team. And then you're able to get them like over two to one odds as high as like plus 250 at some point. Because like you said, I mean, they are who they are. They've just been so infuriating and they just have the feeling of a team that you clearly know is not going to make it deep throughout the postseason. The talent is there for sure, but they just can't seem all to put it together in one working motion. So while I'm still going to be sweating them out to win the AL Central, I think that's kind of where their luck's going to end if they do find their way into the postseason. And look, I mean, a team like the Guardians doing very well right now, and you can still get them at plus money. And I, I you know, I kind of think the Twins are going to falter like you've seen a little bit. But man, I mean, the fact that they've kept it close is, is just really disappointing to see with this White Sox team. Are, are you surprised that they didn't end up making either a big move, whether it was kicking Tony La Russa to the curb or making a transaction at the deadline? Because it just seems like their pitching staff could have at least used more help. Yeah, well, listen, I mean, it's a flawed roster, you know, so no, I'm not surprised that they didn't fire Tony La Russa because it's, it's helpful to be friends with the boss, right? And Jerry Reinsdorf has said that the biggest regret of his professional life is firing Tony yeah. the first time. And all of the reporting is that they'll never fire him again. The worst that would happen is they kick him up to an advisory role if they miss the postseason this year. So I don't think there's ever really been a moment where he was close to getting fired. But the truth is, is that it's just a flawed roster. It's, it's very right-hand dominant and they're not hitting nearly enough home runs and, you know, Abreu and Grandal and Eloy and Vaughn all probably are best suited to be designated hitters, but you can only play one of them at DH. So that leads to a really flawed defensive lineup. And then, you know, Pollock's come on a little bit more recently, but AJ Pollock has been abysmal this year, who they traded Kimbrell for. Tim Anderson started hot and now he's hurt, but in the 43 games uh, where he started, prior to the hand injury, which has him out now about six weeks after surgery, but 43 games dating back to the end of May, guy had five extra base hits in his previous 43 starts. This is a guy who's won a batting title. So, you know, they're, they're pitching, which you mentioned they could have used more for, you know, obviously they, you know, they had the one lefty, but it's the type of thing where the pitching has been inconsistent and maybe not as great, especially in the bullpen as you would like with Kelly and Graveman and like their big additions where they spent their money, but the pitching has been fine. You know, Lance Lynn looks good. Dylan Cease, Cy Young contender. Cueto has, has stabilized it. Giolito has not been, you know, a Cy Young contender, but he, he's been fine. P- pitching has been fine. It's they're They're not hitting with enough power. And then they play really bad fundamental baseball, both in the field and on the base paths. And they've lost their swagger and that little it factor. And I think you can trace that back to their sleepy manager who literally dozes off at times uh, during the game. So, you know, it's it's just it's a highly paid, highly talented, highly flawed baseball team that if they make the postseason, they could go on a run because if any team makes the postseason, they can go on a run. Right. We've seen that in baseball. But. Would I bet on it? Are they built to succeed in October? Absolutely not. Well, speaking of things you'd maybe bet on, like you mentioned, Danny, big pitching matchup tonight, Verlander and Cease. If you want to get involved right now at Bet Rivers, the Astros are the favorite, minus a buck 27. On the buyback, you got the Southsiders catching plus 108. Short total, naturally, you got the two top pitchers in the American League. So seven is the number we see posted. A little bit of juice to the under at minus 112. Houston did open at minus 120 at Bed River, so a tad bit of steam has gone their way early in this morning, kind of leading into the afternoon. But, man, I mean, when I look at this White Sox team, I just, at this point, it's really hard to bet them. And I kind of figured looking into this series, if there was a game to bet based on the value, it maybe would have been yesterday, just like you were talking about. I mean, Johnny Cueto has really just done the job and even more so than that for this White Sox team. I mean, it took late to get the runs, but at least they got there. Uh, again, it may be a struggle for them to produce some offense tonight. How are you thinking about this one? Yeah, I mean, so like I mentioned, they, they should have confidence off of last night and that they're the only team this year to get to Verlander. So those are the factors working in the White Sox favor, in addition to, 
I mean, betting against the guy who's doing something that hasn't been done in 120 years of baseball history in Dylan Cease is pretty incredible. But having said all of that, uh, how often do you think this year Justin Verlander has only been a minus 26 favorite, mm-hmm. right? Like I, I look at it like that and I would say, yes, Cease has been amazing. Yes, the game's in Chicago. Yes, they had the epic comeback last night, so they're feeling good. And yes, they will go into a game against Verlander with more confidence and most that they can get to him because they have before. Like all of that stuff would say that the White Sox are live here, but you really interested in only plus 108 against Verlander when we know that the Astros are the way better team? So if, if I were to make a bet on this, and I think I probably will just be watching this one as corny as it is for the love of the game, uh, but I think I would just lay it with Houston and say Justin Verlander is never going to be minus 126 again. Uh, th- he might not be one minus 126 in a postseason start mm-hmm. where teams can match up aces against them because, you know, he'd be opening at home or things like that. So this might literally be the shortest odds that you could get Verlander and the Astros until, you know, an LCS or a World Series game. So I think the I think the smarter play based on the price, and you can see it, as you mentioned, going from 120 to 126, the early money, very early, uh, started to come in on Houston. And I think that's probably the right side. All right, let me ask you a question here. Now, you can bet, of course, AL Cy Young. And there you have Cease is the second short shot, plus 170. Verlander, minus 148. We just talked about the money line prices. Houston, minus 127. Chicago, plus 108. If you want to get more value on the White Sox, I get that it's not immediate, but do you almost view this game as, hey, if one guy dominates the other and say the White Sox won in a pretty impressive fashion, that Cease would kind of leapfrog him for the top of the race? And in essence, you could just get plus 170 to bet that and get the better value, assuming it'll move down. Is that something that kind of it could actually come to fruition or is there still so many things that need to happen? Yeah, well, so I I think you answered your own question. If you think that Cease is going to outduel Verlander and that Verlander is going to give up four or more and Cease is going to continue his stretch, then absolutely like it's still a decent price to get in on Verland or to get in on cease because if that happens we wake up tomorrow morning and mm-hmm. cease is the favorite for american league cy young and you have a great value ticket but he could still lose it and he could he, he could still give it back you know it's not like this is the last game of the season it's not like this is some sort of nationally televised all eyes on you know it'll be talked about on mlb network and quick pitch or whatever but it's a Tuesday night game on the south side of Chicago. Like this is not this is not some sort of marquee going to completely shift all of the narratives. The award is won or lost based on how tonight goes. And I think there's also just a perfectly reasonable scenario where, you know, both guys go six innings, give up one run, and the game's decided by the bullpen. And win or lose for Astros or White Sox, nothing really changes in the Cy Young Award uh, balloting tomorrow because both guys had great games, right? I think that's actually like the most likely outcome of the game is that the starting pitchers who have been the two best in the American league this year pitch great. And then the game is decided in the late innings in a close game. That's low scoring based on the bullpen. So I would not overly invest here. And frankly, we've been talking about Dylan Cease and the Cy Young for so long that like, if you're not in now, yeah, 170 is great, but you're, you're, you're a little late to the party. Yeah, I think he was at like 11 to one right after the all-star break. And then that's when everybody started to take notice. And that's a lot of times how it kind of happens because the White Sox have been brushed under the rug a little bit, haven't been living up to their expectations. And Cease has been the one shining light throughout this team this season. And uh, yeah, now it's going to be broadcasted even a little bit bigger in this premier pitching matchup as we do have Danny Parkins joining us here on the Chicago City Cast. Make sure you follow him along on Twitter at Danny Parkins. And of course, you could catch him hosting Parkins and Spiegel on 670 the score here in Chicago 2 to 6 p.m. Central time Uh, Danny aside from the White Sox naturally there's excitement as we're heading into September with the start of the Bears and well maybe there's some excitement I mean we're excited to see what Justin Fields and this new regime can do Uh, not excited necessarily to see what the end results can be because at Bet Rivers the win total uh, not too bullish on Chicago originally it was like six and a half and there was a little bit of plus 
plus money to the over. Then you started seeing the injuries. You started hearing about Roquan Smith. And now kind of the main number at Bet Rivers is five and a half for their win total. The over does have heavy juice in that regard, minus 162. Under five and the hook is plus 130. Look, I I mean, I'm not betting it, but I honestly think there is a path for this Bears team to get to seven wins based on the favorable schedule. It's just, I think the secondary is a little bit of a question mark. You drafted there, but we don't know how soon that's going to transition. And then, of course, what can we expect out of Luke Getze right out of the gates? Yeah, I mean, I would look at it like this. The schedule on paper is pretty favorable mm-hmm. but all of those bad teams that you're circling as potential wins for the bears they're also circling the bears as potential <laughs> wins in those cities the bear i mean the bears what can they hang their hat on like if you had to bet today that they will be a top half of the league rushing offense passing offense rushing defense passing defense like maybe you lean rushing offense because of david montgomery khalil herbert what Luke Getze has said, Valus Jones, Justin Fields, like maybe. But if they're going to be trailing in a bunch of games, at some point you're going to abandon the run to try to play catch up. I just, they don't have talent. They have so much dead cap space, money being spent on dudes that aren't on the roster. Like this is just clearly a transitional year and an evaluation year to evaluate Fields, to evaluate Eberflus, to evaluate Getze, and to see which of these young guys have a future here and that you want to pay. So I think if you were in on six and a half at the under, that's a great bet. At five and a half, like, could they try hard their way to six or seven wins? Absolutely. But let's be honest, man. Like, we're talking about this roster right now, and yeah, they had a bunch of guys out with injury for the first preseason game, but the injuries so, so far are pretty short term. How about have like an injury to Jalen Johnson or Darnell Mooney? You know, like if the Bears have even a smidge of bad injury luck to the few really good players that they have at premium positions, this team could be the worst team in football. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't look at it as there's any real value in betting the over. Personally, I know that that's the side that you'd have to take in terms of like the number coming down and missing the best of the number at, at six and a half. But I would be a stay away at this point, because I do think that there is a pretty low downside for this team. Yeah, that's for sure. I think that's probably the likely outcome for this Bears team. But I I feel like, you know, there are a few storylines to look out for naturally. I mean, assuming that you can rely on this coaching staff to be more competent than the last, that's what you're hoping for as a Bears fan. But from a player perspective, Danny, I'm kind of circling out, just like everybody else, three big offensive guys. Naturally, that's Justin Fields to progress. And then I think the next two questions are, Is Darnell Mooney a legit wide receiver? And from a fantasy football perspective, of course, you look at him going, man, should I start this guy? Should I have him on my team as kind of my second tier receiver? But then again, you know, the hometown guy, Cole Komet, I I mean, the kid has all the potential in the world, it seems like. And you and it just get the feeling that you got to put him in the right system and then he can be utilized properly. What do you expect out of, I guess, Mooney, more importantly, and then Cole Komet for this upcoming year? So I got a big bet on Mooney over uh, 900.5 receiving yards. I Mm. I think that number's terrible. And it's been bet up to last I checked at Rivers, 950.5. I mean, the guy had over 1,000 yards with 140 targets last year with multiple different quarterbacks, Allen Robinson on the roster, and an incompetent head coach. So if you – give him competent play calling, even if they run the ball a little bit more, they still ran the ball the eighth most in terms of percentage of plays, not in terms of quantity of plays, but in terms of percentage of plays that were run, the Bears were eighth in the NFL last year. So I don't think there's going to be like a bunch of targets going in other direction. And Cole Komet was second on the team in production last year in the passing game. So like, I think that that can still continue. And Komet, you know, who had 60 catches last year, Maybe he takes a leap and has 75 or 80 catches, which would be amazing. And I think that that's in play. And I think what he really needs is red zone production, right? I mean, 60 catches for a second-year tight end is pretty good. 
uh, considering all of the limitations that they had in their offense. So I definitely still think there's a ton of upside for Komet, especially in the red zone. But I think Darnell Mooney is legit. Like I, I've said that I think his absolute ceiling is Stefan Diggs, who's clearly, you know, a number one receiver, top 10 guy in the league. I'm not saying he's there right now. I'm not saying he's going to make a pro bowl this year, but I do think he will be a pro bowler. Everything about his makeup. I just really like, you know, he, all the cliche stories of the guy shows up at the practice facility at one in the morning to get in extra work. The guy bought a jugs machine for his condo with his first NFL signing bonus. Like he talks about wanting to be the best receiver in football. He went and trained with Justin Fields in Georgia in the off season, like him and fields very clearly have a good rapport and he very clearly is going to maximize whatever the, whatever the top level of uh, potential is there in Darnell Mooney's God-given ability, he's going to realize it. So I definitely think Darnell Mooney is a viable fantasy wide receiver too. No question about it. I think he's being underdrafted. And I think that there's going to be, they're going to be down in enough games where Fields is going to have to target him, you know, 10 plus times a game. So I, I, I like Mooney statistically, even on a bad passing team this year. I'm right there with you, Danny. Couldn't agree more. Should be a big season for Darnell Mooney. And you're right. I mean, there's been incredible movement for his total receiving yards. 950 and a half is what it's up to. Over is at even money. Unders minus a buck 34. Total receiving touchdowns at about four in the hook with a little bit of juice. I, I still kind of like over. it though. I, yeah. I still, I, I still, I still like the over at nine at 950 and a half. I just who else is he throwing the right. ball to? You know, like I, they're going to be trailing in games. He's the guy that Fields trusts the most, and I believe him to be he, him to be a legitimately good football player. Is he going to get a little bit more defensive attention this year? Yes, probably. But I think that that can be offset by competent coaching and exactly. Fields be and and Fields being better. So I, I still think that he's you know an eight plus target per game guy. And I think that that's going to translate to a good season statistically, as long as he stays healthy. Exactly. Like that's the biggest thing is the competent coaching. We don't know for sure how they're going to be, but it just seems impossible to imagine this new coaching setup being as poor as Matt Nagy's squad was. I mean, just so, so bad with their play calling organization. And you're hearing players keep talking more and more about just how differently practices are being conducted and just how more organized and efficient it seems. That's why I feel like, Hey, even if this bears team doesn't get a lot of wins, I feel like they could be competitive enough game by game to where you could get a good price on them. ATS wise as a sizable underdog. And they may be a solid team ATS kind of like the lions were last year. Right. I mean, it wasn't pretty, but man, they were fighting in every single game. So I'm kind of thinking they could be a little bit tough and look, I'm not the guy who's always drinking the Kool-Aid for the bears. Usually, I'm giving them more crap than most people, but man, I, I just feel like Justin Fields will finally garner a little bit of respect from the national media and a lot of people knowing that, hey, he's got a little bit better setup, at least in terms of maybe protection and then play calling this season. Yeah, I mean, I think protection is still you know to, to be determined, though at times it, it mm -hmm. couldn't be worse, right? But it's, I think the biggest thing is just last year, Justin Fields was not given a chance right until he played against Jadavion Clowney and Miles Garrett. You know, like <laughs> like he he was thrown to the wolves with an Andy Dalton game plan and he his hair was on fire the rest of the season. Right. Like that he didn't have a training camp. He didn't really get reps with the ones. I mean he was at training camp, but he was just he was just a guy who was there. They weren't doing anything particularly special or curated for Justin Fields, which is insane given that Andy Dalton was a one-year stopgap measure and Fields clearly was the future of the franchise at quarterback for better or worse. With Getzey, he's the day one starter and he is installing an offense for Justin Fields from OTAs and minicamp. So if nothing else, he should be hitting week one mm -hmm. with the lessons learned from last year and the fact that the offense was built and curated around his skill set. And that seems like a fairly low bar because it is, but at least, the, at least we're at the point where we know that for better or worse, the offense has been designed with the quarterback of the Bears in mind, which is a fairly novel concept. 
Okay, Danny. Well, hey, I got to ask you about some preseason, my man. I know some people kind of uh, scoff and chuckle at the idea of betting it, but a lot of people thrive on betting the preseason, and I honestly love it. I mean, the past couple of years, I've been betting it a lot more consistently, and it's actually been pretty profitable because, well, the nice thing about preseason, you know who's going to play for how long, what the narrative is kind of going into the game. Like, I bet the Bears on the money line this past week figuring that their starters will get a little bit more reps. And that wasn't necessarily the case, but younger guys who had a lot more to prove had to fill those roster spots, Eberflus wanting to make a good impression, all those kind of things. And then another game, for example, was the Steelers and Seahawks. And I looked to bet that game over because you had about five quarterbacks who were competing for their jobs. Mason Rudolph, Mitch Trubisky, Kenny Pickett, Geno Smith, Drew Locke. The Bears now catch the Seahawks this week. The line opened up at three and a half. It's already ticked up the four in the hook. I was hoping to get a little bit better of a money line price with the number at three in the hook, but that just wasn't the case. And I was kind of hoping it wasn't going to move up to four and a half so quickly, but that's where we are right now. And I think this is situationally going to be a tough spot for the Bears because, again, you have a true quarterback battle going on in Seattle with Drew Locke and Geno Smith. No other quarterback for Seattle took reps in their first preseason game. Uh, do you give them the nod for this spot or do you think the Bears could actually keep this one close? Yeah, I mean, I think that your handicap is pretty spot on. Uh, you know, I don't, I certainly don't love laying big numbers in the preseason, but I think that the level of quarterback play and competition that Seattle has, and we can also just be honest, of this is a quick turnaround. You know, Bears played on Sunday yeah. and are flying to Seattle on Thursday. Obviously, not game planning, no padded practices in between. First road game for this new coaching staff, just like going through the mechanisms of that. A long flight. Like, this will be an easier game for the Bears to sleepwalk through a little bit. Now, you would think that given the hits principle and guys trying to make the team, it'd be impossible to sleep through. But the Sunday to Thursday turnaround is not an easy thing, even in the preseason. So I think a lot of the factors uh, point to Seattle in this spot. Uh, I agree with you. Betting the preseason is fun because it's an information market and you can just look at it and, you know, you absolutely can find out more information than you know in the in nfl week one or week five or whatever everybody knows everything and the lines are as sharp as possible and a lot of us are throwing blind darts and maybe we're trying to get a half a point or a point in line value based on an opening number compared to where it closes at but it's a really damn tough market uh to to maximize profit on preseason if you if you grind it a little bit and you feel like you've got an understanding of how one coach is going to approach it versus the other you can make a move. So I have no judgment towards betting the preseason. I do it every week uh, as well. And I'm with you. I think Seattle's the, uh, the better play in the spot. Danny, you've been very generous with your time. It's been an absolute blast, my man. But before we let you go, you know I got to inquire about Roquan Smith and this whole debacle that's been going on in the pseudo-agent. Uh, I saw that you guys have your own investigative reporter on the scene kind of trying to figure out everything. What the hell's happening here, and what do you think ends up happening with Roquan Smith this season? Well, yeah, it's a bizarre <laughs> story. So – the guy who is making calls on Roquan's behalf that the NFL said is not a certified agent and sent a memo out to all the teams saying, don't do business with this guy. He's not a certified agent. He's calling representing Roquan Smith is a business manager who does work with NFL players, clearly including Roquan Smith, uh, Charles Cross, the top 10 pick for the Seahawks this year. Looked like he did some stuff with Malik Willis. Like, this guy is a real person who has real connections and does real things, but he can't do this. It's, it's, it's player-initiated tampering. Roquan Smith is under contract for the Chicago Bears, and Roquan Smith could be under contract for the Chicago Bears next year with a franchise tag. So Roquan does not have any leverage here. The Bears don't even really, I mean, they won't admit this, but they don't even really care about wins and losses this year. You know, if getting a top 10 pick or a top five pick because they're awful for the first year general manager when they have $100 million in cap space is not a bad result for a, for a GM trying to build 
the foundation of a nucleus of a Bears team that can be a consistent winner. Like the Bears, we talked about their win total at five and a half or six and a half games. Man, a, a weak side linebacker is not making a, a marked difference in how many games the Bears win or lose this season. So I think Roquan Smith has overplayed his hand here. And I understand wanting to be the highest paid player at your position because great players, when they come up, it's usually the most recent guy who sets the market. So I don't think that Roquan Smith's contract requests are unreasonable, but I think the method at which he's gone about it, uh, the very late trade requests, you know, hold ins or hold outs, totally common. You know, Kyler Murray was unhappy. DK Metcalf was unhappy. Debo Samuel was unhappy. But all of those things we knew about him in OTAs and minicamp, the Roquan Smith trade request happening clearly very coordinated on the day of family fest at training camp, you know, when the fans are supposed to show up to Soldier Field. And then he invokes the McCaskey name in the statement. He clearly blindsides Ryan Poles. Like he's playing this for maximum drama and the Bears have no incentive to meet his price NFL teams have already spent to the cap and who's trading, you know, who's given the Jamal Adams trade anymore, you know, two first round picks for a non-premium position. Jamal Adams trade looks terrible. You would do it for a quarterback. You would do it for Jalen Ramsey. You would do it for Laramie Tunzel, but I don't think you're doing it for an inside linebacker. So I think he overplayed his hand. I think he ends up with the bears. I think he ends up with the bears on a contract that all of us would be thrilled to sign. And he has to take a little bit of humble pie when he signs it. Oh man. It's uh, it's turning into reality TV with this bears organization, but would you expect anything less at this point? Probably not. Uh, I'm sure a lot of bears fans will be content to see Roquan back on the field, but you're right. You're just not really going to get that offer that, a great comparison with Jamal Adams. I mean, that clearly didn't work out. And, you know, Roquan, like you said, maybe uh, a little bit too dramatic in what he was asking for. So uh, hopefully they could get that squared away sooner rather than later. And hopefully we could get some at least uh, enjoyable action with the Bears this season. But Danny, thank you again for making some time and hopping on. I'm hoping we can kind of connect once again during the season and uh, see how much more we can sulk in the inevitable sadness is being Bears fans this season. Hey, if they cover some spreads, it won't be that sad. That's right. We'll take it any way we can get it, baby. At Danny Parkins, or you could follow him on Twitter. Make sure you catch his show, Parkins and Spiegel, on 670 The Score, Monday through Friday, 2 to 6 p.m. Central Time. Always a great listen every single weekday. But all righty, folks, that's going to wrap it up for another edition of the Chicago City Cast. As always, presented by Bet Rivers. Thank you for tuning in. Best of luck with whatever you are playing, and we'll catch up again on Thursday. Until then, take care.